Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Yesterday, we here at St. Paul's hosted a small group from the Elliott Society, which is a local organization that supports Christians in the arts, as they were doing a, local, a workshop on an art technique called kintsugi. Kintsugi is a Japanese technique of repairing broken pottery by putting together the broken parts with a lacquer that's mixed with gold or silver or platinum. So you end up getting a cup or a bowl or a dish that looks kind of like the original one, but you see the gold where the cracks were formed when the vessel was broken. Part of the beauty of kintsugi is that it allows the breakage to be an opportunity for reformation. This had me thinking a lot as I was watching these very artistic people, which I am not one, which is why I didn't sign up for the thing. I just watched them do it. But as I was watching it, it made me think a lot about Lent, a season in which we're confronted with our brokenness and our sins and our imperfections, but ultimately in which we offer ourselves to a master artist who can make even these cracks and these disfigurements into something beautiful. All of Lent points us to Christ crucified, and it culminates in the events of Good Friday. And so in this season, we're invited into practices that imitate Christ. Practices like fasting and prayer and almsgiving. So that we who do them will prayerfully and with God's grace come to look like him. And today, at the outset of our Lenten journey, we see a new humanity being created in Christ, a new humanity that we are invited to participate in. In our gospel reading this morning, our Lord is led into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. This is the basis for the 40-day fast of Lent. After these 40 days, we're told that he's hungry, a good reminder that Jesus has a real human nature that's capable of suffering, just like our human natures are capable of suffering. And it's precisely at this moment when he hungers that he's tempted by the devil. And the first temptation, Satan tries to get Jesus to turn stones into bread, to satiate that 40 days of hunger. This temptation takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the temptation of Adam and Eve. The devil tempts an archetypal figure to eat. To this temptation, unlike Adam and Eve, our Lord replies, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so the devil takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, and he challenges him to throw himself down because of the scriptures which promise that the Messiah will be protected by the angels. To this temptation, Jesus answers, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. At the third and final temptation, Satan brings Christ to the top of a mountain and promises him all the kingdoms and glory in the world if Jesus would just bow down and worship him. And Christ emphatically responds, Be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the devil finally leaves Christ alone, having been defeated by the Son of God, and the angels come to minister to him. What's going on here, really? It's an odd story, this idea of Jesus being taken to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
To understand, we really have to go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 2. Israel has been wandering in the wilderness before being brought into the promised land. And while they're wandering, they're charged, you shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You've noticed, I'm sure, as I have as well, that it's easy to obey God when things are easy. But it's when things are hard that it really reveals where we are in those trials. Think of a person like Job. You know, you see what he's really made of, not when he's prosperous, but when everything's taken away from him. So in the wilderness, in those 40 years of wandering, Israel was being tested. God wanted to see what they're really made of. And of course, if you read the Old Testament, especially that portion of the Old Testament, you realize Israel constantly fails these tests. Further, we should also point out that Israel as a nation is repeatedly called God's son in the Old Testament. One important reference containing this is Jeremiah 31, 9, which says, For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Another important element of this Israel story is the fact that they wandered in the wilderness for those 40 years. Israel, God's son, wanders in the wilderness for 40 years where they're tested. Similarly, Jesus is God's son something we not only confess in the creed, but is a thoroughly biblical claim. In the chapter right before the temptation of Christ, Jesus is baptized. And when he is, we hear the voice of the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This account then of these three temptations in Matthew 4 is attesting, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, It's important to note that Jesus undergoes a similar testing at the crucifixion. While he's hanging on the cross, the crowds issue a similar temptation that echo the devils. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross. And when Peter discourages Jesus from going to the cross, Christ issues him the same rebuke that he issues Satan. Get behind me, Satan. The difference between the testing of Israel in the Old Testament and the testing of Jesus is that Jesus passes the test. Scholar M.D. Golder says, Where Israel of old stumbled and fell, Christ, the new Israel, stood firm. In passing the test, Jesus proves himself to be both the true Israel and the Son of God. Because Christ is the true Israel, then it follows that we, when we were baptized, we were brought into Christ. We were made part of his body. We were made part of the new Israel of God. Dr. Hans Borsma says, for Jesus to insist that he is the true vine is to say nothing less than that he is the true Israel. By abiding or participating in Christ, then we are joined to the true Israel. To join Christ and to join the church are one and the same thing. Jesus does what humans could not do because he's very God of very God. And he unites our fallen human nature to his own divinity, purifying it and creating a new kind of humanity. So we as sinful humans only find ourselves in Christ, the second Adam, 
by virtue of our baptism, where we die to sin and are raised to newness of life. When we're baptized, we're translated out of the line of the second Adam, a line that's characterized by, or, I'm sorry, translated out of the line of the first Adam, which is a line that's characterized by sin and death, and placed into the line of the second Adam, who brings us life. There is no neutrality in the Christian life then. We're either servants of sin or servants of God. Paul summarizes this saying, when you, slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But then what return did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the return you get is sanctification and its end, eternal life. Because we have this new life available to us in Christ, Paul, in our epistle reading this morning, urges his audience not to accept the grace of God in vain. God says, at the acceptable time, I have listened to you and helped you on the day of salvation. God is the bestower of all good gifts. He gives us exactly what we need when we need it. When is this day of salvation that he speaks of? According to the apostle, it's right now. Not later, not tomorrow, right now. The fact that salvation is available to us right now in the present via the incarnation, the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ creates a sense of urgency in St. Paul, and it should create a sense of urgency in us too. St. Paul's urgency is demonstrated in the way that he puts no obstacle in one's way to the gospel. And he talks about this in verses 4 to 10. He gives the gospel through great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watching, hunger, by purity, knowledge, forbearance, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill and good repute. We're treated as impostors, he says, and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Why this list? To emphasize the fact that it is through degradation and humility that St. Paul is truly an apostle. Paul's ministry is authentic precisely because it's what we might call cruciform. It's cross-shaped. He pours out his sufferings for the sake of others, and he unites his sufferings to the suffering of our Lord. The great spiritual writer St. Teresa of Avila says, Let nothing disturb thee. Let nothing dismay thee. All things pass. God never changes. Patience attains all that it strives for. He who has God finds he lacks nothing. God alone suffices. To follow Christ means to unite our lives and all the sufferings that inevitably come with it to the passion of Jesus. To undergo our suffering is to receive the promise, Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. And that's a promise that rings true every single Lent a season in the church calendar where we go out of our way to suffer, to practice fasting, to spend more time in prayer, to give alms, disciplines designed to conform us into the image of Christ. 
We fast as he fasted for 40 days. We pray, hopefully, as he prayed, showing ourselves completely dependent on God. We give ourselves for others, just as he gave himself for us. In using his life, and in particular his death, as a template for our own lives, we become transformed into who we ought to be. According to St. John Chrysostom this morning in our gospel reading, our Lord points out to us the medicines of our own salvation because we're taught by them to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross and follow him, which is exactly what we prayed in our collect this morning. O Lord, who for our sake didst fast 40 days and 40 nights, give us grace to use such abstinence that our flesh being subdued to the spirit, we may ever obey thy godly motions in righteousness and true holiness to thy honor and glory. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.